Amen. You may be seated. If you would please take your copy of God's Word and turn to Mark chapter 10. We are continuing our sermon series through the Gospel of Mark. And today we come to the end of chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. We will be reading this morning from verse 46 to the end of the chapter to verse 42. Please give attention now to the reading of God's holy and inspired word. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, and with his disciples a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Bow your heads with me, if you will, in a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we read here of a, of a blind man, a physically blind man, but we know, especially from that sweet hymn that we all love so, so much, that we are all blind. We were all once spiritually blind due to sin. And Lord, even as you have reworked within us, as you have worked your spirit within us to look and see Christ as he truly is, you daily, even with those who are your children who have given their life to you, you continue to open our eyes more and more to see Christ for who he truly is. And so we pray, O oh Lord, that in this hour, as we sit under your word, both read and preached, that your spirit would open our eyes to see Christ clearly, to see him as our merciful King. Do this, we pray, for we pray it in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. For the past several weeks, we have been stressing the fact that Jesus and his disciples are journeying toward Jerusalem, uh, where Jesus is going to die. Uh, ever since chapter 8, verse 27 through 30, as I've been mentioning for the past few weeks, when Peter makes that great confession that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus has set his sights on Jerusalem, and he and his disciples are going to be making a fast track toward Jerusalem where Jesus is going to die. And as we mentioned last week, Jesus has, since that great confession of Peter back in chapter 8, predicted the cross, predicted his death, that he will meet in Jerusalem three different times. And we saw his third and final prediction of the cross last week. So we have been seeing, we have been reiterating week after week, ever since that great confession of Peter, there's a turning point in the gospel of Mark. 
Jesus is making a fast track toward Jerusalem where he is going to die. And here in Mark chapter 10, verse 46 through 52, we really get the end of Jesus' journey toward Jerusalem. They are in Jericho right outside the city gates, and Jesus is about to enter into the city of David, to enter into the city of Jerusalem. And as Jesus is heading toward Jerusalem, the city of David, he hears this blind man named Bartimaeus cry out, Son of David! Have mercy on me. Now, this phrase and this title, Son of David, has clear royal significance to it. Uh, It is a phrase, it is a title that is fulfilled, uh, fulfills really what we read earlier in our unison reading of Scripture in 2 Samuel 7, verse 12 through 17. The promise that God gave to David that his offspring would have an eternal everlasting reign. Now, certainly within the context of that promise, uh, it is clear that it is referring to Solomon. But after the exile, after Israel was exiled in the Babylonian exile in 586 BC, that whole passage began to be reoriented. And they started to anticipate what we might call an eschatological and end times son of David, one who will bring in the fulfillment of that promise that we read of in 2 Samuel 7. This is a truth that is extremely important in all the Gospels. Just think of Matthew and the way he begins his Gospel in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then Matthew will go on to show that lineage that Jesus has with David. We see the same thing with Luke in Luke chapter 2. Three, So here this blind man, this blind beggar, Bartimaeus, rightly recognizes that Jesus is the son of David, the one who will bring the kingdom of God that will have no end. But more than just rightly seeing Jesus as the son of David, Bartimaeus recognizes what kind of king this Davidic king will be. He cries out, have mercy on me. Unlike so many in Jesus' day, and really as the disciples, as we have seen over the last few weeks, who had envisioned the Davidic king as a strong military ruler, this blind man rightly sees that the kingdom that David's offspring brings is a kingdom of salvation. It is a kingdom of mercy. And so Jesus here enters into Jerusalem, the city of David, that final leg of his journey toward Jerusalem. And how does he enter into Jerusalem? He enters as the son of David, the merciful king. And so what I want us to see is three ways we see that mercy on display here in our passage as he engages with this blind beggar, Bartimaeus. First, I want us to see that the merciful king is for those who are persistent. Verse 46 through 50. Second, the merciful king is for the helpless. Verse 51. And third, and finally, the merciful king is for the disciple. Verse 52. So first, the merciful king is for 
the persistent, verse 46 through 50. Verse 46, we are told that Jesus, along with his disciples and a great crowd, came to Jericho. Now, what would be the significance of Jericho is that many Galilean Jews, as Jesus is himself and who he has surrounding him, this great crowd, are Galilean Jews. What they would often do in their pilgrimage to Jerusalem is they would take a detour around Samaria, uh, passing through Perea and on the east side of the Jordan. And coming to Jericho, they would make their journey's final leg up the hill to Jerusalem. So they are near Jerusalem. As I've mentioned earlier, they are on the last leg of their journey toward Jerusalem where Jesus is going to die. And what's more is the Passover is fast approaching. The Passover that was celebrated annually each year by the Israelites that commemorated that Passover lamb that was spread on the doorposts of the Israelites when they were in bondage and captive uh, to Egypt where the angel of death would come by and pass over the Israelite home and not kill their firstborn, but where that angel of death would not see that blood, he would kill the firstborn of that home. And that was celebrated annually each year. And so the Passover is fast approaching. And so here you have Jewish people making their annual trek, their annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem. To celebrate the Passover. So you need to envision a group, a horde of Jewish people traveling in and through Jericho toward Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And we are told a blind beggar named Bartimaeus is there along the road. It was common for blind beggars to frequent the roads, uh, especially during the time of the Passover to frequent those roads that led to Jerusalem because there would be a lot of foot traffic. There would be a lot of Jewish people entering into Jerusalem, and so they would place themselves on the roads because there would be a lot of people to beg from. Just think of a big city. Why do you have so often in big cities so many homeless beggars? It is because of the foot traffic. So here at this time during the Passover, as they trek toward Jerusalem, you would have a bunch of Bartimaeuses. You would have a bunch of blind beggars sitting along the road uh, begging for alms and for food and money. And Bartimaeus, we hear here, cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, verse 48, we are told many rebuked him and told him to be silent. Now, of course, we are appalled at this rebuking. Here is this poor blind beggar who, as we have just noted, rightly sees Jesus as the son of David. But I think we we might have been with that crowd in rebuking Bartimaeus. Remember, here is a great crowd gathering behind Jesus, and, and as he is trekking toward Jerusalem, the drama of the scene must have been absolutely gripping. Back in verse 32, we are told that the crowd that followed behind Jesus were amazed and afraid. So what do we have here? We have this crowd that is following behind Jesus as he is trekking toward Jerusalem. And there is this fearful anticipation as they are trekking behind Jesus as he is going toward Jerusalem. There must have been this thought and this question, what is going to happen when Messiah, when Jesus enters in to the city of of David. So, and in the midst of this excitement, in the midst of really what is this grand drama, this fearful anticipation, comes the screams of a common blind beggar. 
Really, Bartimaeus is like that person that enters into a room as you're watching a movie, and the movie is just starting to get good. The music starts to intensify, the climax, the plot is starting to climax, and you're ready to hear how the movie's going to end, and in comes Bartimaeus and interrupts that grand drama, interrupts that grand scene. So here's this blind beggar, an interruption to this great scene to this grand drama. But the man in no way is deterred by the rebukes of the crowd. For we are told that he cries out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And at this, Jesus stops. Jesus presses pause in the grand drama. He presses pause in the movie. And he says, call him. Verse 50, we are told, he threw off his cloak and sprang up and came to Jesus. Now, this cloak would have been used by this beggar to carry his alms and and the gifts that would be given to him by the people that would be passing through on the road. He would place all those gifts into his cloak. And more than likely, this cloak is the only thing this blind beggar owns. Yet he throws it aside and he runs to Jesus. We see here the persistence of this man, don't we? The persistence of this blind beggar, Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus really knows two things. He knows that Jesus Christ is full of power, and he knows that Jesus Christ is his merciful king. And those two truths working together will cause this blind Bartimaeus to cry out all the more until he gets his merciful, powerful king's attention. He knows he is powerful and that he utilizes his power as an instrument for his mercy. It's so, so something we so often see in the Gospels with Jesus as he is encountered with with desperate people, with people that come to him in in desperation. He often sees true faith in the persistence of those who seek him. Just think for a moment of chapter 7, verse 24 through 30, back in Mark chapter 7, where we read of the young Seraphonician woman, that Gentile woman who came to to Jesus and, and asked Jesus to heal her daughter with an unclean spirit. And we get that harsh response from Jesus back in chapter 7, where Jesus says to her, let the children be fed first, meaning Israel, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, we would think in response to that rather harsh response from Jesus, that woman might be justified to slump her head and walk away dejected much like we saw the rich young ruler do a couple weeks back. But what do we read from this woman? We read that she was undeterred, that she was persistent. And she says, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And at this statement, Jesus heals her daughter. Christ's mercy, brothers and sisters, is for those who persistently call out to him. It is for those who are undeterred by the crowds. It is for those who are undeterred by the unkind providences in our life. 
despite all the circumstances, despite all the gloom and the darkness, despite being blind, Christ's mercy and the storehouse of his mercy is for his children who persistently call out and cry out to him. It is for those who never tire of crying out to Christ because of the full assurance and belief that he is the powerful king who uses his power as an instrument for his mercy. Brothers and sisters, never tire of crying out to Christ. Don't let culture, friends, family, circumstances, death, difficulties in life, sufferings, don't let anything ever keep you from calling out to your Savior, to your merciful King. He is for those who grow hoarse in their voice out crying out to their King. He is for those who stubbornly seek him. Now, that doesn't mean that he will always give us what we want. No, God is much more merciful than that. He doesn't give us what we want according to our fleshly desires many times. But one thing we are guaranteed if we are children of the Father through Christ, through our great and merciful King, he will always, always give us what we need. And he has a storehouse of mercy for those who cry out to him, who are undeterred by the circumstances that surround them in life. Never grow tired of persistently seeking out the Lord and crying out to him for mercy. Second, the mercy of the king is for the helpless. The mercy of the king is for the helpless. Verse 51, verse 51, Jesus said to the man, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Now, the first thing I want us to notice is the question that Jesus asks here of the blind beggar. Do you recall seeing that question last week in our last passage with James and John, who come up to Jesus in verse 35 and ask Jesus to give them whatever they request? And there in verse 36, Jesus uses the exact same words in his question to James and John. What do you want? me to do for you. I think Paul is, or excuse me, Mark is clearly showing us a contrast between James and John's response and this blind Bartimaeus's response. What does James and John want? How do they respond to that question from Jesus? They want glory. They want to sit at the right hand and left hand of Jesus in glory. What does Bartimaeus want? He simply wants to see. He simply wants to see. Showing essentially that even, even while blind, Bartimaeus sees in Jesus what even his closest friends see, that Jesus Christ, the King, is for those who are helpless. He is for those who are helpless. He is a blind, helpless beggar. And he is able to spiritually grasp what Jesus taught his disciples a couple weeks back, that you must be like children in order to enter into the kingdom of God. You must be seen as insignificant. You must see yourself as helpless, saved by the grace and power of Christ. And this man's state as a blind beggar causes him to spiritually grasp that which his closest friends can't even truly grasp. 
Now, there is much more here than just physical sight lying behind this blind beggar's request. To be blind in the first century Jewish world would have been seen as a curse from God. Oftentimes, physical deformities were seen as a symbol, as a sign of of spiritual, moral deformities, a sign of sin in one's life. One passage that they would look at was Leviticus 21.18 that says, No priest who has a blemish, a man blind or lame, shall draw near to to God's house. And according to some Jewish documents that we read of, for example, a document that came out of the Qumran community, the Qumran community is that community that wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls that was, that was discovered in 1940s. One of the documents, according to that community, living in the time of Jesus, was that when Messiah would come and he would bring in his messianic banquet, no blind man would be allowed to enter into that banquet, to enter into that feast. This man is not only physically impoverished, this man is spiritually impoverished as well. He is a social outcast among his people. He has no prospects. He has no credentials. Most likely he has no friends. He has no sight. Yet Jesus stops for him. Think of what it is that Jesus is doing here. He is heading to Jerusalem to die on a cross. He can see Jerusalem. It's in his sights. He's got a great crowd surrounding him. He is entering through the tunnel, and he is going towards the battlefield, towards that main event that he has come down from heaven to to do, to die on the cross for the sins of the world. He has all the momentum in the world. He can see Jerusalem in his sights. You would think nothing would deter that momentum, especially a blind beggar. But you see, if Jesus doesn't stop for this helpless man, he would be contradicting the very cross he is charging toward. What is Jesus on the cross but really the most helpless man in human history? For not even even the world, not only the world is against him, but his own Father in heaven turns his face from Christ as he is a condemned sinner, bearing the sins of those he has come to die for. Is it any wonder why Jesus would come and stop and press pause in the movie, in the grand drama, for a man such as this? He has more in common with blind Bartimaeus than he does with his closest friends at this point, helpless, with no one to save him. Jesus Christ's mercy that is for the helpless, brothers and sisters, is not only a mercy that is filled with sympathy, it is a mercy that is filled with empathy. It is a vicarious mercy. It is a mercy that has stepped in the shoes of the helpless. It is a mercy that says, I know where you've been. I know the trek and the helpless condition you've seen because I've faced it in all of its ugliness and all of its darkness at the cross. It is an empathetic mercy. It is a mercy that empathizes with the helpless. Let me ask you a question. Are there certain things in your life, certain things that you think that maybe Jesus doesn't want to hear from you? 
that you don't want to you don't want to bother God with your pathetic helpless problems brothers and sisters when we treat God in that way and when we treat Christ that way we have more in common with the rebuking crowd than we do with Jesus Christ he is for the helpless he has become like us. The, Hebrews, the Hebrew writer in chapter 4 says he has become like us in every way yet without sin so that he can be a priest that sympathizes and empathizes with you in your helpless, pathetic condition. He is a merciful king who knows the sorrows and the troubles of his helpless children. Jesus stops in his tracks for the needy, for the brokenhearted, for the failure, for the outcast, for the sinner. And when he calls us and turns his merciful face towards us and says to us as his disciples say to this man, take heart, we're to throw off our cloak and flee to Christ and enter into the joy of his salvation. He is a merciful king who is for the helpless. Third and finally, he is a merciful king that is for the disciple. Verse 52, verse 52, we read, And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Notice that it is this man's faith that has made him well. And Jesus says, Go your faith has made you well. Now the English Standard Version says, go your own way. I think actually capturing a beautiful irony here in the words of Jesus in verse 52. Jesus says to this disciple, says to this blind Bartimaeus who has practiced genuine saving faith, he says, go your own way. And then the ESV will show at the end of that passage that Bartimaeus went the way of Christ and followed him on the way to Jerusalem. The way of a Christian, the way of a disciple, the way of one who has tasted of the goodness and the mercy and the grace of Christ is the way of Jesus Christ. His own way is Christ's way. I think it's hard to miss the contrast of the story and the rich young ruler that we read of a few weeks back. Remember back in verse 17 through 22, you have the encounter between the rich young ruler and Christ, and the rich young ruler wants to know what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says to the rich young ruler, sell all that you have and come and follow me. And that rich young ruler, just like blind Bartimaeus, goes his own way. But he doesn't go the way of Christ. He goes the way that goes in the opposite direction of Christ. But here with a poor blind man, notice he isn't even commanded to follow Jesus. It's interesting, when we put those two passages together, you have Jesus commanding the rich young ruler, come, follow me. But here Jesus says, go your own way. He doesn't command him to follow him because Jesus knows that this man is one of his faithful children and his way is the way of Christ. It's interesting in the book of Romans, I'm reading the book of Romans now in my morning devotions and 
In Romans chapter 4, verse 3, Paul will allude to Genesis 15, 6, where it says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. But then later in that very same chapter, chapter 4, Paul will go on to talk about works that Abraham committed after that declaration of God in Genesis 15, 6. He will say in Romans 4, 19, he did not weaken when he considered his body, which is as good as dead, nor when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, referring to Genesis 17, 17 and Genesis 18, 14. He says he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he said, referring to Genesis 18, 14. And then Paul will say in verse 22, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, God counts Abraham's faith as righteousness before Abraham shows the genuineness of that faith. Christ declares to this blind Bartimaeus that your faith has made you well before Bartimaeus shows the fruit of that faith, the genuineness and the authenticity of that faith. I think this tells us here two things. Number one, God knows those who are his. He knows his children. God in Genesis 15, 6 doesn't declare Abraham righteous and then say to Abraham, all right, Abraham, I've declared you righteous. Don't make me look bad here. You need to show the genuineness of your faith. No, he knows Abraham. He knows the very spirit that is poured out into his heart that works faith in his children is the same spirit that will lead his children in the ways of Christ. Brothers and sisters, have you been declared righteous this day by faith? God, by his spirit that has worked that faith in your heart, will lead you in the ways of Christ as he leads blind Bartimaeus. Number two, I think it tells us that the faith that justifies, the faith that heals, the faith that saves is the faith of a disciple. It is the faith of a follower of Christ. Bartimaeus, like Paul in Acts 9, has had the scales lifted from his eyes, and he has seen Jesus as the merciful king. And he would be able to say, as, as Peter will say in John 6 to Jesus, to whom shall we go? Whom shall we follow? You have the words of eternal life, and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, the steadfast love and storehouse of saving grace and mercy that is found in Jesus Christ is found for the disciples of the King for those that throw their cloaks aside and run after him and follow behind him as he goes to Jerusalem and goes on that pilgrimage journey towards his glory as we read of last week. And just like Bartimaeus and just like Christ was at that time, we too now in the time between the times, between Christ's first and second coming, we are pilgrims who are trekking toward our heavenly Jerusalem. And there is a storehouse of mercy and grace for all those that follow Christ in the way.
Thanks be to God that Christ is a merciful king. And he is a merciful king for the followers of his name. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ has come, that he is the fulfillment of that Davidic covenant that we read of earlier, and that the kingdom he brings is not a kingdom where he breaks us. It is not a kingdom where he crushes us in our sin, but rather a kingdom that is inaugurated when he is crushed for our sin, so that in him we might receive mercy grace upon grace. So, Father, we pray that by your Spirit, you would help us as followers, as pilgrims in the way, to continually lean on Christ, to persistently never grow tired, that our voices would grow hoarse in crying out and calling after Christ, that nothing that this world brings to us would cause us to grow silent, would cause us to get up from our knees in prayer before you in prayer to our King. We pray, O Father, that your Spirit would be poured out in each and every one of us, that we would work for your glory, and that we would seek to honor our King, who has gone to Jerusalem and has died on the cross for our salvation. Be honored and glorified, we pray, for the rest of this worship service as we close in this closing hymn. Do this, we pray, for we ask it in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.